Welcome back, everybody. It is time for Encounter with God, Bible study time right here on The Breakfast Show. We started off this week. Let's, let's, let's take a look back over our Bible studies for this week. and Look where we started off. We started off talking about something that is not in the Bible. No. Punctuation. Indeed. So punctuation is not in the original languages in which the Bible was written. And so we kind of started with punctuation marks. And, of course, punctuation, we, we find punctuation by looking for context. We moved up from punctuation to words. So that was on uh, Tuesday we talked about words. And then on Wednesday we talked about groups of words, repetition, groups of threes and so forth. Then yesterday we talked about texts. Guess where we're heading today? Today we are headed to the books. Books. Books, the next biggest division. So we kind of started from the smallest. and Indeed. One singular word, a group of words, whole sections of words, and now... A collection of the collection of words. <laughs> books. Books. All right. So uh, when it comes to study of books, there are a number of things that we need to stop and think about. And they are going to affect our understanding of the book. They are going to affect our appreciation of the book. And why the book was written for that time and also for all time. Because we need to re- remember that the Bible is a book that was written for all time. So... The authorship is something that is going to be important. The setting in which it was written, the purpose, um, the audience, and the culture in which it comes into play. Okay, so let's begin at the beginning of the Bible. Who wrote the first five books of the Bible? Moses. And how do you know? Because in uh, there's plenty of places in the Bible where it references, where, pardon me, where it references that. Yes, uh, Jesus mentions the law of Moses in the books that he wrote. He does. Um, so yeah, by yeah, looking, it's, at- it's, it's probably the most well attested authorship that you find in the Bible. You can find uh, the authorship of those books by Moses. You can find it testified in Joshua, in First Kings, Second Kings, Second Kings again, Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel, Malachi. Um, then confirmed Mark. by Jesus yes. in Mark and John and Acts and Romans. That's right. Okay, so we've got, we're very clear on who wrote the first five books of the Bible. Let's then think about how that's actually going to, well, let's think about some of the things that come into play here. First of all, who was Moses? Moses was... What's his background? Uh, well, originally he was an Israelite. Yes, born, and, in, born, born an Israelite. And then he was found by the princess of Egypt, or, yes. or whatever they called it. I've just, all the movies I've seen, they call it the princess. Um, and then he was raised as a prince, of, yes. a prince of Egypt. That's so right. very educated, um, very smart, very... Uh, multilingual. Multilingual, yep. Literate. Uh, uh, mathematically gifted as well. He was just a very, very smart dude. Um, he'd been ge- blessed with with the the knowledge of um, of education. Okay. Then where does he go next? And then he goes to the wilderness, to the wilderness, to the desert, and finds a. And what what are the Israelite? Uh, sorry, for, I butted in there. What are the what is the condition of the Israelite people during his time in the wilderness? Not ideal. They're slaves. They are, you know, they're in slavery, getting whipped daily. People are dying. Um, setting as example, you know, they're just not treated very nicely at all. Okay, so God's people, the Israelite people, are slaves. Moses has been born an Israelite, raised and educated as an Egyptian. Now he's living in Midian. So that's three different cultures that he has lived and worked in. What about his family? Who does he marry? He, oh, I can't remember her name, but she marries one of the Midianites. 
She's actually Ethiopian. Ethiopian. Oh, okay. She's actually Ethiopian living in Midian. And so her father is an Ethiopian priest of Midian. Right. Yeah. Okay. So she's, um, so she's Ethiopian. Her name is Zipporah. Yes, that's the one. Yep. I know a Zipporah. Do you know a Zipporah? I don't know a Zipporah. Yeah, I think it's kind of a nice name. Um, there's, a, there's a suggestion for when you have uh, a daughter, Liam. Zipporah. Nice Zipporah. name. Okay, so, keep it in so mind. he marries an Ethiopian. So he is very... So now he's lived in three cultures. Indeed. He most likely speaks somewhere... At the very least, he's going to speak three different languages. He's going to speak uh, um, Israelite or Hebrew. He's going to speak Egyptian. Um, and he's going to speak Midian, Midianitish, which is going to be very similar to Hebrew because they're related. But maybe he speaks Ethiopian as well. Possibly. You know, because that's that's the that's the language of his. It was probably his, a mixture of Midian, of Midianitism, and Ethiopian. Maybe. Okay, so he's going to speak a few different languages. Um, reading and writing. Well, we know that he knows how to write Hebrew, and as a prince of Egypt, he would have been able to read and write hieroglyphs as well. So this guy's seriously educated. Oh yeah. All right. So then he writes the book of Genesis. Let's go to Genesis chapter fifteen, and let's do a bit of a Bible reading here. Uh, because Genesis is written in a very different environment. And when you understand the environment in which it was written, um, it really gives us, us, us some insights into you know, how God is communicating his gospel message through, uh, through Moses. Okay, first five books of Gen- first five verses of Genesis, the book Genesis, chapter 15. All right, here we go. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and reward, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't have a son, when I don't even have a son, since you've given me no children, Eliezer or Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, uh, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Okay, when Moses writes this, what is his job? His job is to recount history. Uh, oh, yeah, but what's his, what's his employment? What's he getting paid to do? To he's, a, he's a shepherd. He's, oh, yeah. He's, so Abram, what, Moses? What did I say? I think you said Abram. Did I say Abraham? I don't know. I could be wrong. I could be wrong too. One of us is wrong here. Anyway, <laughs> be that as it may, Moses. What was Moses' job? Okay. Moses was a, a shepherd. Yes, he was a shepherd at the time when he was in... He is in Midian. His life is a failure. Indeed. He, now, there's nothing yeah. wrong with being a shepherd. We have lots of people here in Australia who keep sheep, and it's a great thing to do. They're not called um, shepherds, though. They're called farmers. Yeah, I know, but... <laughs> He's, Times Moses, Moses is just the old test, the old ancient equivalent of a sheep farmer, and so his life has been, you know, gone, kind of gone downhill. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. And so I know there's a whole bunch of sheep farmers out there at the moment. They're suddenly offended, like Moses didn't go downhill. Moses went up. You know, you think about this in the Bible. What was? Let's think about the great heroes of the Bible. You start with Moses. 
Moses was a shepherd. Who's another great hero of the Bible? David. David was a shepherd. Who's another great hero of the Bible? Uh, Samuel. Samuel? I don't know. If Not as I, big as David. No. Uh, Isaac was a shepherd. Let's go to Jesus. Jesus. Uh, the good shepherd. The good shepherd. Joseph was a shepherd. Uh, one of the big heroes, of course, to the Jewish people was the man who set them free. His name was Cyrus. He was a shepherd. Indeed. And so typically throughout the Bible, you're going to find your heroes, your big, your big name heroes are shepherds in the Bible. Indeed. And so uh, when I say that Moses' life had gone downhill when he became a shepherd, it had gone downhill as far as being an international politician had, had been. Mm. So he had the opportunity to be Pharaoh of Egypt and he blew it. Uh, of course, Egypt at the world was the dominant world empire. This is the opportunity of being, you know, president of the United States and blowing it. I've got to th- Sometimes I, I like to think, what if? What if Moses had become Pharaoh? How would things be different today? Yeah, I know. That would be a really fascinating alternative history to, uh, to delve into. Um, and maybe sometime we'll we'll spend some we'll have some time where we can talk about alternative history because it Indeed. is it is just a fun thing you know because uh, what would have happened if the Israelites had become the dominant people group within Egypt you know one of the reasons why they were enslaved by the Egyptians is because they outpopulated the Egyptians. And so the Egyptians were a very, very advanced society. They were a very refined society. They were very, very similar to the society that we have today in Australia. And you find with those kinds of societies, they typically have small families. And then if you look at, say, for instance, Australia, where we are kind of struggling to have a birth rate of 2.1, which is the requirement for a civilization to survive. My family is certainly trying to contribute yeah, to your, that. Yeah, your family is contributing well. <laughs> um, but we kind of struggled. And then you look at, say, and, then, and that's kind of, a lot of Western society is under 2.1. So Western society is actually collapsing. And then you look at Islamic society where the birth rate is about 8.5 or 4 or something or other. And it's like, yeah, okay, within 20 years, the dominant religion in the world will be Islam, not Christianity. Simply because we have been outbred. And this was what was happening in Egypt. The Egyptians were outbred by the Israelites because they were having big families. I mean, you know, uh, Jacob had 12 and that was just, you know, that was how it was back in the day. They were having very, very large families. As a result of that, you have this uh, environment in which the Egyptians become afraid and think we're going to get bred into non-existence here. And this is what happens, you know, even here in Australia, you've got people like, oh, no, all of the Asians are coming in and they're going to, to uh, breed up and sooner or later we're going to become Asian. Well, it's just, it's just going to be people, right? Mm. It's just people. I mean, who really cares? Um, yeah. Now, do we want to lose our culture? Of course we don't want to lose our culture. But even if Australia becomes Asian, it's not going to change my culture. I think Australia is very unique is in that we don't really have one true culture. We've got a combination no. of hundreds, if not thousands, of different cultures coming together. I mean, white, white Australia has dominated culture for about 70 years, maybe 100 years. Yeah. Um, before that, of course, it was dominated by Aboriginal culture for however many thousand years. And now it is starting to move in the direction of Asia. And who knows what the future holds. But the simple reality is that while ever God is on his throne and Jesus is in my heart, you know, that's the culture that I want to be a part of. And nobody can take that away from me. I know when you think about cultural foods from different areas of the world, you know, you got your, in, in Mexico, you got your tacos and whatnot. In, in Italia, in, in, 
Italy, you've got pizza and pasta, but whereas in Australia, we've got fairy bread and meat, pi- and meat pies. So <laughs> we, have, <laughs> we have the most, we have one of the most diverse populations in the world. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and of course, if you, you know, live in any of our major cities, you, you certainly see that very short space of time. So this, but this is what is happening. There's a lot of Australians like right now, like, oh no, we're going to be, um, you know, taken over by another culture. Well, you know, life doesn't end, it changes. Mm. Um, and you know we might not like some of those changes, but that's just the the, the part part of living in this world. Tis indeed. And this is what the Egyptians were afraid of, so they enslaved the Israelites. And of course, we have this whole story of Moses. He has the opportunity of okay, if he had become Pharaoh, he would have been the leader of the world superpower and the head of the numerically dominant race within that superpower. So yeah, that would give him a great opportunity to be to create an Israelite superpower based in Egypt, but that wasn't God's plan. God's plan wanted them in uh, the Promised Land, not in Egypt. He wanted them positioned between, essentially, three continents. So yes, they're positioned in Asia, but you know they're not far from Europe, and uh, Africa's at their doorstep. And it's a very, very strategic location. Um, hence, most fought over piece of real estate on the planet. Um, <clears throat> okay, so this is, this is the situation. So Moses is, Moses is thinking about all of this. He has received the word of God through two ways. One way is that he has received it through the message that has been handed to him, handed down to him by word of mouth. So the word of God has come to him by word of mouth through his family. But now as a prophet of God, he is receiving the word of God through inspiration. He looks at his people and his people are slaves. They are being abused. They are being murdered. Their lives are very short. Uh, they, you know, they go through periods where you know, when Moses was born, every male child was to be killed. All of this kind of stuff. You know, it, was, it was horrific stuff that this particular nation was going through. And so he would have a lot of reason to be discouraged. Like, well, I've blown it. There's never going to be an Israelite empire. Uh, The Israelites are enslaved. But then under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God is speaking to him and bringing this to his mind. And so what in those circumstances, what is so significant about this prophecy here that we're just reading? The thing that's significant is, is where... Moses is at in his life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 what's significant about what he writes? Oh, what he writes in in uh, chapter fifteen. Yeah, and the last verse, particularly verse five, there. In verse five, I'll, I'll just read it again, just to just to rehash. Then the Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, "Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have." So right here, Moses is is writing down, I guess, the prediction that God made for Abraham and Moses is sort of in that prediction. He is. Moses is is, is part of the the many stars that can't be counted. Yes, but the most significant part about this is that Moses is in a situation where he cannot see the fulfillment of that. Yeah. This is a prediction that makes no sense to him at all because how does does a bunch of slaves... Mm. You know, God's people have been in slavery for 400 years. Yeah. 
They are a nation of slaves. They are a race of slaves. You know, I'm wondering whether there's any other race that has been enslaved for 400 years. I highly doubt that it. That has a, a whole race that has never known anything other than slavery. I mean, you wrap your head around that. If you go back 400 years from now, what, are you, what, are you, what year are you going to? 1620? Yes. Imagine you are a part of a race that has been enslaved since 1620. That is your caste. That is your lot in society. That is your position. Well, I think... I think you kind of wouldn't know anything else and you'd be discouraged. Even right now, we don't really know anything else except for the last 20 years. That's right. Absolutely. And but even, even if you look back, it's like, well, you know, you go back to 1620 and we've been slaves ever since then. What, what happened then? What, what was so special that happened then that sent us into slavery? You know, are we ever going to come back out again? And God comes to Moses and God reiterates to Moses the prophecy that is given to Abraham that the Israelite people will become a great nation. Now, if you'd been in slavery for 400 years, you would have definitely reached the point nothing is ever going to change. But right here, God is telling Moses, it's going to change. Let's go to Genesis 22 verse... Uh, oh, we don't have a whole lot of time to get through this, but we're going to go to... If you're listening along at home, I want you to turn your Bibles Genesis 22 verse 17 and 18. And uh, why don't you read for us verse 17 there, please? Okay, verse 17. It says, I will certainly bless you. Uh, I will certainly bless... Oh, I got lost. I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Let's go back to Genesis 22, verse 17 and 18 and talk about... Uh, Moses writing the book of Genesis. Okay, let's go over this again. So verse 17 says, I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Okay, these are, these are promises that are going to be very promising to Abraham to um, Moses. More so to Moses than to Abraham in many ways. Indeed. Because Moses is the one who is seeing the destruction of his people. Moses is the one who has failed his people. Um, and there's a great quote in uh, the study guide from a book called Patriarchs and Prophets. It says, As the years rolled on, Moses wandered with his flocks in solitary places, pondering upon the oppressed condition of his people. He recounted the dealings of God with his fathers and the promises that were the heritage of the chosen nation. His prayers for Israel ascended by day and by night. Heavenly angels shed their light around him. Here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote the book of Genesis. You know, one thing I think of when I read this, um, in particular verse 18, where it says, through all... Uh, through, through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. I think of the three major religions in the world, the three Abrahamic religions, you know, Jewism, uh, Judaism, uh, Islam, and Christianity, all come from Abraham. They all originate with Abraham. and That's why they're called... Abraham, yeah, and and these, although we may all differ with what we believe about different things, we all unite in through the. What, there are things that we all believe together, and I think it's it's really amazing that uh, I, I certainly feel blessed 
um, being a Christian, and I'm sure the Jews feel blessed being Jewish, and the the Islamic people feel jet, feel blessed being Muslims. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's very evident today that what uh, God said to Abraham back in back here is very true even today. So yeah. Okay, so we have um, we have this whole um, I guess you call it uh, environment in which Moses is writing this book. And it would have been incredibly encouraging for him at that particular time to have these prophecies coming to him from God and knowing that, okay, I may have stuffed up, but it, uh, it is all going to work out well. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, so put the wrong microphone off. Okay, so moving on. Uh, if, we, if we go through Genesis, um, there's many things that, Gen- that Moses says. And moving on to the next part of, of where Moses... So at this time, Moses is with the Midianites. With the Midianites yeah, so then the, it goes to the book of Exodus. Yeah. And in the book of Exodus, it's, uh, it's... Is that where the story of Moses starts in the book? I think it is the story of Exodus. The book of Exodus where the story of Moses starts, isn't it? Well, the interesting part about the book of Exodus, yes, the story of Moses starts in Exodus, but the interesting part about the uh, Exodus story is that for the most part, Ex- you know, well, Moses is writing about himself and his own experiences and what is actually taking place. And this time, rather than writing as a shepherd with a people who have been destroyed, he is writing as a leader of a nomadic people who, are, um, who have been released from captivity, from slavery. So what point after the Israelites had been released, how many years or, or days or months, or how, how long after they'd been released did Moses write all the books? In particular, Less than 40. One, less than 40 years. That's all we know. That's Because he died up 40 years it after. It seems that when you actually read through the books of Moses, it seems that some of these books were written in spurts at different periods of time, but were kind of like a, a work in progress throughout that 40-year period because there are definitely parts of them that are written right at the very end of that 40-year period. There is, of course, within the books of Moses, there is a record of the death of Moses. Indeed. Which is most likely not written by Moses. I shouldn't think so. Um, Now, it's possible that he wrote all of that under the, once again, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but it's also possible that Joshua wrote the last chapter. That, of yeah, that's what I was led to believe. It kind of yeah. it can't be the, the the logical thing because Joshua goes on and writes the next book, and Joshua is kind of Joshua basically picks up where Moses leaves off. Yeah, and so you would expect that if Joshua was doing that, that he would finish off. Okay, let's finish off the uh, books of Moses, and now let's write the book of Joshua. Joshua writes to a very different people again. Joshua is a military general. He is writing to a people who have conquered a particular portion of the earth surface, a, 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 an area, and as they have conquered this particular area, they have um, settled into cities. So he's writing to a, a much more settled audience, an audience that has done the hard yards and is now no longer nomadic. And so when you look at Genesis, Genesis is written by somebody who is a shepherd by himself in the wilderness writing about a people who are enslaved. Uh, Exodus is written by a, you know, the leader of a nation to a people, to a nomadic people who have escaped from slavery. Joshua is written by a general to a people who have recently settled into a new country. And so all of these things are going to add their own special flavor and are worth you know considering and looking into, which when you come to read these particular books. 
There's many other examples you could look at. For instance, the book of Daniel, you're reading the works of a prime minister of an empire um, who has a very, very close relationship with the king of that empire, Nebuchadnezzar. And so here you get kind of that, you know, that inside view, as it were, of, you know, the Nebuchadnezzar, the, the, the Babylonian uh, royal court followed by the Persian royal court in Babylon. And so those are some unique perspectives there. But he's also writing during a period, and this comes through very, very strongly in the book of Daniel, in a period when once again the Jewish people are in slavery. And so you can read material there where you can kind of see him scratching his head like, what is God doing here? What is God doing about the slavery of my people? What is God doing about you know, the rebuilding of the temple and of the city of Jerusalem? And you can see him praying about that three times a day with his window open towards Jerusalem. Okay, so all of this context is very important when it comes to the study of the Bible.